As many of our UNT students face unexpected challenges and expenses related to the coronavirus, the new UNT CARES Fund is here to help them persevere. Gifts made to this special fund will meet short-term needs so our students can continue to have long-term success. Visit one.unt.edu slash untcares to make a gift today. Your generosity will go a long way in helping UNT students stay safe, healthy, and on track to graduate. You're listening to the Ollie at UNT Alumni Spotlight Series, presented by the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at UNT and the UNT Alumni Association. The Alumni Association is open to all friends of UNT who are interested in serving, supporting, and celebrating the university. To learn more, visit untalumni.com. To learn more about Ollie at UNT, please visit our website, olli.unt.edu. Now let's join our host, Ollie at UNT member, Susan Supak. This is Susan Supak speaking at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas in Denton, Texas, known to most of us as Ollie. I'm speaking with Eliette Dunlap, a prominent UNT alumnus and recipient of UNT's Outstanding Alumni Service Award. Eliette's inspiring contributions to the University of North Texas began way back in his days as an undergraduate student. 25 years ago, Eliette and some of his Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated brothers met with the UNT Chancellor and President at the time, Alfred Hurley, to propose a multicultural center where students could meet in a dedicated space with staff to promote the success and inclusion of students from cultural and ethnic minority groups, religions, lifestyles, and overall support. Now, part of UNT's Division of Institutional Equity and Diversity, more than 2,000 students walk through the doors each month. That's quite an accomplishment for an undergraduate student or anyone else for that matter. Eliete's commitment to helping others at UNT have continued to this very day. In January 2016, with the help of Andre Lewis, Kappa Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated, and UNT alumni, and Chandrick Hill, whose daughter is a UNT alumnus, founded a professional mentorship program for diverse students on campus called A Few Good Men, which focuses on real-world growth competencies that center on three things. One, grades. Two, going from college to internships. And three, from internships to career employment. To date... FGM founders are responsible for UNT students getting more than 100,000 internship payments and over 14 career jobs from tech companies like IBM, Oracle, and medical companies like Johnson & Johnson, and helping other free spirits start their own entrepreneur companies. Following graduation from UNT in 1997, Eliette worked at Bledsoe Dodge, Viastar Services, a transportation service tech company, and IBM, a tech company. And currently, he is the Chief Channel Officer, Financial Services Capital Markets at the Microsoft Corporation. 
Welcome, Eliette. How are you doing? I will say, Suzanne, it's all right. You know, I think that's the as many times I've heard my name read the real way, and I appreciate you uh, pronouncing it right, but it's okay to call me Elliot. I'm pretty sure everybody at UNT would just know me as Ellie. Uh, I tell you what, I love the name Eliette. I think it's beautiful. Where does it come from? You know, it's funny. My mother and father told me a story about in 1974, and I guess I'm talking my age now, but they, when my mother was pregnant with me, they went to go see the movie MASH. And one of their favorite actors was Elliot Gould. And my grandmother in California, who's a native Indian, when they came back and said, we think we're going to name him Elliot. We really like that name, Elliot. She said, add a T and an E and name him Eliette, because that from a French and being from my grandmother who had traveled the world, that would be different. So it had a quick start with Elliot Gould, grew into Eliette from that moment on. And that's why it has that unique spelling with the hyphen at the end. Great movie and a great name. (laughs) Hey, I heard you speak about UNT being an important catalyst to your success. It's a funny story. Tell me about the Horizontal UNT book. It is funny when you think about that, but my dad used to say, you know, I went to North Texas State and we never paid any attention to it as kids. And, you know, back in the day when I was in high school, I went to three high schools coming up. When I returned to Houston to attend high school as a senior, they were inquiring about what colleges. At that time, you used to have to go see your counselor before you graduated. And the funny story is we're in this small little office, as you can imagine. It's like it's like the counselor's desk. My arms could probably touch each wall. My chair is to his bookshelf. And I'm looking at him and he said, where do you want to go to school at? Have you thought about college? And I was like, well, you know, I thought about it. He said, well, I have a lot of books behind you. I know you know Texas A&M and others, but Texas provides a lot of colleges you can attend. And I remember turning around and the UNT book was horizontal and the rest of the books were vertical. So it stuck out from the shelf and it was green. My favorite color was green. I saw an eagle on it. I was graduating from a high school called Eisenhower Eagles. So I just pulled it out. And I was like, UNT is where I would go, University of North Texas. And it's a funny story, but later I learned that they had somebody in the department that actually had a psychology around why their book was, you know, kind of the long way rectangular versus square version that most books were. It worked. (laughs) It worked on me. And I later found out that my dad went there when he was driving me up. He was like, this is in Denton. I went to school in Denton. And we're just both laughing because he always knew it as North Texas State. And it was now the University of North Texas. And we just didn't put it together until we got on 45 and started heading north. I love that. And now that we brought up your dad, I have to say, you have made an incredibly impressive impact on UNT. But he did, too. You want to tell us a little bit about him? Yeah, absolutely. My father, I didn't really appreciate his greatness until I got older. And just recently, he's been able to kind of bathe in the sun at some success. He always was quiet. He's one of three first round draft choice picks to come out of North Texas. In fact, it was Mean Joe Green, Cedric Hartman, then my dad, Leonard Dunlap. He was recently inducted into the Hall of Fame in the last, I made five, 
six years maybe. And he was voted one of the top 22 players at UNT that ever graced the football field. So I think he's now reconnecting with the university in different ways. They've welcomed him and hopefully, you know, he will see a bunch of smiles as we go forward. Well, I think the university owes a lot to the Dunlap family. It must be genetic. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, he, he was the athlete. I, I was one in school. So yeah, and my brother, I have some sisters. My brother also followed his path. And, and, I, and I have two moms. When people hear me talk about my mom, my birth mom actually passed away in 2016. My stepmom, which I call my mom now, is lives in Houston with my father. And she's been instrumental in my career as well. So we've been touched by a lot of people. So That's important. Very important. Eliette, could you tell me as an undergraduate, which just just blows my mind that you had this impact as such a young man, when you were an undergraduate student at UNT, what prompted you to push for a multicultural center at the university? Yeah, so I'll, I'll take a step back. There were four of us that grew, Colette, Ray, James, and myself who are all very active in UNT as we speak. And one of the things that we noticed right away was there was a couple of areas of growth. There was not a place for diverse candidates, different religion, different ethnic groups, different lifestyles, different thought processes to congregate and just find people like themselves, right? When you go to University of North Texas or any college at that, that, it's very hard when you come from cities and high schools that were predominantly one thing. And now you're in a microcosm of a lot of people with a lot of things. It's very hard to relate to that. And somewhat, it poses some sticker shock to a lot of people, right? Almost to the point where it paralyzes them. We noticed that. We also noticed that there weren't many diverse tenured professors and the recruitment of professors was very limited. Nobody could give an answer. And, you know, as students having the hindsight, we're looking around and it's like, okay, we're not seeing the reflection of what UNT was growing and what they were stating. And and the last thing was, I think it's important, and we can talk about this later, but I think it's important to get into the boardroom. And there were really no students that had the ability at that time to leverage the leadership of University of North Texas, but to establish some real good relationships where there was a working dialogue and an active, healthy, respectful relationship to solve some issues across the board. Just to put this in perspective, When the list of 125 best things that ever happened at UNT, this is ever, ever in the history of the university, when this list was created, the Multicultural Center was number two in the countdown of the most impactful thing at UNT. What a statement and what an acknowledgement of the impact that the center has had on students the university and the alumni. Do you think students today have any idea of the efforts that were taken to make this come about? I mean, it wasn't just a a visit to the office administration and then it happened, right? 
Right. I mean, I want to list, even though I listed those four kind of initiates, including myself, there were people like Casey Thomas, who's the mayor pro tem of Dallas now, Shaylon, who led the multicultural center, as well as worked in it for over, was a part of the UNT system for almost 20 years or so. And you had countless others that put in the sweat equity to getting that done. So by no means do I want to take all the credit. But what I will say is that what a legacy. When you think about the Multicultural Center, at the time, I don't think there were many multicultural establishments in the state of Texas. Now, I think Texas A&M had one. Don't don't yell at me for the facts, but it was very (laughs) few. And maybe we can research that, but I remember it was very few. But North Texas was a leader in this. And really thinking about it toward the future. And when you think about 125 and that being the number two thing, I it's astonishing to, to think about that. But what a legacy to leave behind. And it taught me so much about being, you know, what I like to call ESG, environmental, societal, and also governmental, just and the government meaning like the administration and really understanding those three pillars to get things done. I, I, every time I go up to UNT and I think about where it started at in the closet on a napkin that Chancellor Hurley and all of us drew up, an idea to concept to the finish, it's, it's just amazing from all those people that had a hand in that sweat equity. You really think about bringing in a collective group of diverse people from different organizations and different thought processes and tasks and really pinning down agenda items and high level conversations and respectful thought processes to the point where administration. Listen, on the flip side of that, let's give Chancellor Hurley and the administration an applause because never before had they seen this, never before had they had to deal with this. And I'm pretty sure there was some fear or trepidation with moving forward with this, but they did and we were able to complete it. It's quite a story about the impact and the future effect that can happen when people work together. Yes. I am learning in today's time that it's important to have clarity in your leadership. You know, I I have some leadership principles that I kind of drive by, but it's important to to set the goal and make sure everybody's on board and everybody understands their role. That's important. When I look back at the Multicultural Center, we had people that never saw the boardroom, never spoke to Chancellor Hurley because of various reasons but work just as hard in the background, right? And we had people that was out front and we had people that would pass out flyers and create the momentum. We had people that would call the news and the radio stations to get visibility. There was just a lot of unselfishness and uh, a lot of sweat equity. Well, you mentioned that when the Multicultural Center first began, it was in a very small space. It was kind of like a closet. And now, of course, it's in a much larger, much more beautiful space. How do you see UNT's growth as an inclusive university over these years? I know you're very involved with the university. So how do you see that growth? 
I think that UNT has made several strides on growth, but the new student of today has a whole new set of new ask and university responsibilities. There are a lot of things we were unaware of when I was at college that students are aware of today. And although UNT has made some strides and President Smotris has been right there, I mean, anytime we've wanted to get on the phone or talk and Joanne, VP of Diversity, it has been there as well. The big thing is keeping our eye on the prize and our feet on the pedal so that we address the awareness issues. There are still things that come up at UNT, just like any establishment. And we have to keep that dialogue in front to improve those things because as our students advance, our alumni advances, and the needs and ask advance. So UNT, yes, we've made some strides, but I think we have a chance, especially in these turbulent kind of societal times to really shine the green light and be the leader in this is how you unite current students, current faculty, current administration with current alumni to drive unique goals that will set us apart from here on out. You mentioned the dialogue. Where does that dialogue begin that can lead to non-threatening conversations and effective solutions? That's a great question. What I'd like to tell people, I think there's two parts to allyship. And when I talk allyship, nowadays it's talk from black to white, white to black, but let's take the color out of it. Let's take gender out of it. Let's take lifestyle out of it. Let's take religion out of it. And let's just talk about allyship. And what that means is, is that the number one thing that we have to understand is that allyship, you are not going to be 100% perfect. There are going to be gray areas. There are going to be missteps. You're going to have some kind of uh, insulting moments to somebody in a way where you're asking questions. So for those people out there like myself that like to be perfect and we don't want to go on stage or we don't want to get in front of people until we have all the facts and all the details and we're buttoned up tight, allyship is not that. Allyship is coming to understand and learn and know that you are ignorant. And I don't mean ignorant in a bad way. Ignorant is actually a good word, in my opinion, because it, it lets us know our shortcomings, our shortfalls, and it gives us the opportunity to go learn and grow. So knowing that you're going to be ignorant in a conversation or a certain topic and that you're going to also learn from that person. The number two thing of allyship and, ha- and creating kind of that first starter conversation is creating a safe space, creating a space on both sides, the side of the person that is aware and they have to be willing to answer questions multiple times with multiple people to be that advocate for that particular topic, right? And then the safe space for the ally 
to be able to ask that question. You think about H&M had an incident a couple of years ago where they put they had a bunch of models with kids and they put the monkey shirt on the black kid. And you think about how much controversy that caused in the world and to H&M. But if they had had a diverse candidate in the room with them while they were doing that, or even on their leadership staff, somebody could have told them in a safe space, I don't think this is a good idea because this is the history behind that. And that's what makes allyship so important is that we're not going to know all the history. I have a mentee and she wears a hijab and somebody, she was working and one of her coworkers came up to her and said, why don't you take off your hat? You're so pretty and let your hair down. And as she was telling me this story, I'm listening. I'm not connecting with her anger because she's trying to tell me how upsetting this was. And to me being ignorant, I was like, okay, that's just a simple correction. But to her, it was insulting. It was insulting to her religion, to her race, to her people, to her. And I stepped back and said, okay, I see you're very upset. And maybe I'm not connecting with this like I should. I'm going to create a safe space for us. Tell me why this was so hurtful. Because as a black man, I've heard a lot of hurtful stuff and a lot of different stuff that it just rolls off. But I could tell she was really upset and she was coming to me in confidence. She said, Elliot, this is insulting because if somebody had been in a store that was like me, could have formed a bad impression of me. I had to take a step back and go, wow, you know, I didn't know this. And I have to be cognizant of this as well. But not only is she thinking about herself, but she was more afraid of somebody else being in the area that might have looked at that very harmful. So it changed my advice to her. It changed the scope of my empathy for what she was feeling. And I walked away with that, knowing that if I encounter somebody in that same position, what's respectful and what's not respectful. I know it was a long story, but I apologize for that. Well worth it. Because it is so important. The only way we can understand the different perspectives is if we speak to each other and explain to each other. So to do it in a non-threatening way, for one thing, it affirms however the other person is feeling, I think, if someone's willing to listen and be open. And I just had an interview with a photojournalist that had actually been in Iraq and Afghanistan and some other war-torn places. And I said, how do you go into these areas. He was a foreigner and had, there was a war going on and he chose not to be embedded with the U.S. troops. And he said, it was being open, willing to understand the people and to learn about their culture and just being open. And I think that applies to what you're saying as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. You are such an active person and you have truly made a difference. You are still truly making a difference. So I just have to ask you, as a young person at UNT, when you were an undergraduate, did you learn lessons that stay with you to this day that you share with your students that you talk to with the current students at UNT? Absolutely. I'm going to be very transparent and vulnerable, you know, because I speak about being vulnerable a lot. Let's talk about the story of Elliot that kind of set the stage for UNT. When I took the SAT for UNT, 
I was trying to go see my mother and do other fun things. And I actually scored a low score on my SAT, which was not my best. And UNT, for some odd reason, I remember I got the, I had went to California to visit my mother. I came back. I applied for UNT earlier in May or something. And in August, late July, around this time, really the first week of August, I got a denial letter from UNT and I had not applied for any other college. And I got a denial letter and I remember reading it with my dad, like, man, I'm denied. Oh, well, you know, I'll just go work and do what the rest of the guys were doing that I grew up with. And right after that, there was a there was a guy there named Ronald. He had created a program. I got a letter that said, hey, you graduated top 10 percent, five to 10 percent of your class. Your grades were good. We don't understand what happened, but we have a program that if you come interview with us, we have a selection process. Now, this is funny because this was the only year that this was done, right, that I know of. And my parents got in a car and they drove me on a Sunday. I'll never forget. We left Houston early that morning. I got the UNT. It was the first time me even being in Denton. And I interviewed with 12 people on this committee. And when I left UNT, about a week later, they said, you're admitted. And I got into UNT that way. I later took the SAT and scored higher. But then I ran into another pitfall. I got to UNT and I was not focused. And even though I got in on grace, and I believe, you know, there is grace, people praying for me still today and my great aunts and grandmothers and mothers and fathers and everybody. When I got into UNT, I didn't do my best. And I actually got put on probation my second semester. I think I had a 1.5. So you ask me, how do I relate to the students? I know what it's like to make a 1.5. So I had to go home. I got put on probation. I wasn't suspended, but at the time, my father and stepmother was paying for college and I had to go home for a year. I went home and I went to community college. I made straight A's and I got the opportunity to come back to UNT and I came back to UNT. And I made nothing but A's and B's after that. Graduated with a high GPA, never took a class over again. And the story that I tell to people and I relate to my students and few good men and my mentees is the first action of rescue is self-help. If you're drowning, you got to stop panicking for me to come help you or else you're going to take us both down. And you have to stop panicking and then you have to believe in yourself to kind of be like, OK, I'm going to listen. and I'm going to trust somebody. And there were a lot of teachers along the way. Of course, when I came back to UNT, I. Uh, did things different. I was in the library every day from seven to nine. It was kind of like, you know, it was fun to be there. I made it fun. I met with my teachers. I, I, I had better time management and growth. And I think I got the full, I can truly say that I was down and then I was up at UNT, but UNT gave me the opportunity to be that. They never gave up on me. And that's why I give a lot back to UNT now, because I know that particular chance changed my life just with them allowing me in because I didn't have time to take the SAT again before school started uh, because at that time they were only offered. And just the fact that they gave me that chance knew that I needed to be there and do my best. So that's kind of the story that I tell people is that it's it's going to be hard, but you have to you have to, first of all, look in the mirror at yourself and then understand where your gaps are and where you need help. And then let's go at it. Let's go get it. Well, you've certainly 
paid it forward, as they say, with founding a few good men. And I'd mentioned that in the introduction of some of the focuses of that. Can you expand on what a few good men is all about? A few good men is very simple. It's about focus to grades, grades to internships, internships to careers. We're one of the few organizations on campus that partnered with tech companies. Most of our interns get $10,000 for eight weeks of work. One of the companies I didn't mention was Ernst & Young. And, and we say few good men, but we welcome women. It just started out that way, but we welcome women. We've had some women come through the organization and, and be vice presidents and kind of lead in the thought process. But the main thing is really what we noticed is that College teaches you how to get your books and it teaches you responsibilities and it may get you to the door of a job, but there's a gap, especially from diversity candidates when they're competing out there with other candidates from other schools that have been, that have generational prep, nepotism prep. That's very different. So what we try to do is give them real world experience and topics, have them think real world, have them think about the bigger picture. They come in suits. We ask that you come in suits. Most of us work from home or I'm flying in. Chandra Kill and Andre Lewis, they travel the U.S. just like I travel the U.S. We make it a point to be there at that meeting date. So we're sometimes coming straight in from the airport. Or if we work from home, we have to get dressed. And the purpose behind that is we don't want you coming from the basketball court to the meeting. You got a lot of other meetings to do that. We want you to be intentional, and that's my favorite word, intentional. We want you to be intentional about coming to our meeting, Few Good Men, and learning. And we have topics come in from anywhere, from having policemen talk, to Congress people talk, to motivational speakers talk, to women in the workplace. We tell the young men that it is likely that you're going to have a woman leader in your organization, and you need to understand this. On contrary, the world is changing. You have to understand how to adapt to this because many of them come from backgrounds where they haven't seen women in leadership. So there's an adjustment there. So we just try to have it open and we work with the Multicultural Center, Damon and, and Joanne. They help us out. They're there step for step, as well as Caesar, who's now the lead for that. So we're, we're very fortunate to have the, the team behind us. There are so many factors that help people to advance in the workplace. I mean, once you get the internship, that's one thing. But as you say, you have to know how to show up dressed in a way that you should be dressed, not inappropriately, and learning how to network and knowing how to speak to different people. I can see what you do is just such, such an important message to pass on to young people to help them to advance. Thank you. You know, kudos to, to the young men and women that believe, because they didn't know if coming there Thursday nights in a suit once a month would get them somewhere. We've had success stories like Devin and Jimmy and Taylor and Darius and Micah and just countless others that have led with the group and, and done tremendous things. And we have some like Isaiah and Lance and Jeff and some others that are entering in the world, just graduated within the last 12 months that are seeing what the real world is like and trying to strike fire with some of the lessons learned. What a gift to these young people that they have people who are already 
successful in the workforce, being able to mentor them and share with them the things that they've learned that make a difference. I think that's incredibly helpful and wonderful that you're doing that. And obviously, you must be working with a very amazing group of young people just that they realize that they should be doing this, that they want to be involved in that kind of a program. So they've got to be motivated from the start. And then the things they receive, I'm sure, will be very helpful to them not just out of college, but even further on down the road. And hopefully they will turn around as you have and help those others that are coming up in the workforce behind them. Yeah. And and I will say that I would be remiss not to talk about other mentors. You know, what's unique about this group is we have had mentors that have graduated from this program so we had guys that have graduated out of UNT, got a job through our program and are coming back. We have young men and women that never went to North Texas, but because of a connection to somebody in the group, John, Andre, and myself come back every month. And we have UNT alumni that attended to UNT in the 70s and 80s, and also fraternity brothers that come back and mentor these young men and women. So it's awesome to kind of see that in today's time, people will fight traffic getting to Denton because they feel it's that important to lean in with these young people on their careers. So I want to just tell them, thank you for doing that. I heard you say a marvelous quote, and you said, you can't change the rules from outside the building. You have to change them from the inside. Is that something you teach to the people that you mentor? Absolutely. I think that you hear me talk about code switching. You hear me talk about assimilation. You hear terms like that and people kind of frown up, you know, ah, cringe. Ugh. And they're tough words. But the reality of it is, why do we pick our closest friends. We either grew up in the same neighborhoods or we went to the same schools or we had the same majors or somewhere we had a same connection that then we were able to understand everything else about each other. I do believe that everybody wants to change rules. You know, and what I was talking about was there's time to protest and you need people like that. You need people to protest to create awareness. There's also time that things need to get done in the boardroom and you need people for that. Now, I'm not saying they can't intertwine with each other. But what I am saying is my philosophy has always been to understand the environment. And you hear me talk. The best lesson that my mother taught me was self-awareness. And you've heard me say that a lot of times. Be self-aware of the environment. Understand the rules, Elliot. And then get into the room so that, or into the building, play by those rules, and then begin to change those rules with the leverage that you have. But it's very hard. It would be like somebody, it would be like a new family member coming into your house, telling you how to run your house versus a new family member coming in, understanding how you're running your house, take notes, assess how you're running your house and then begin to, to ask questions why this is done this way. Here's some better ways we can do this. You would be more privy to the conversation. You would be more privy to the adjustments and the topics and maybe even more privy to think about changing some of those things. But a lot of times 
we feel like we got to go into the building right away and start yelling, hey, you need to change this. Why aren't there more black people? Why aren't there more white people? Why aren't there more Hispanic? Why aren't there more Asian? Why aren't there more women? Why aren't there more? And a lot of these companies get, and let's not forget, companies are not just getting your work stream of angst. They're getting other people's oppositional work stream of angst. I learned even with Chancellor Hurley, there was, there was a valuable lesson, but we had a uh, dinner one time, but I learned the position of power and who's in the room, who's who in the zoo. It's very important when making change. I noticed on your LinkedIn profile, you have hashtag intentional excellence. I understand that's your brand. What does it mean? It means for half my life, I think that I have been unintentionally excellent. And for the second half of my life, and unintentionally excellent was through blessings and prayers and people looking out for me, sponsors and mentors and resources, people that saw whether it was a smile or saw that I showed up early or saw that I really wanted to work hard at being somebody that took an interest in me. I think the second half of my life, I've taken pride in being intentionally excellent and having that excellence a part of it. It used to be a pet peeve of mine. You know, whenever I would go out, People would always, the first question they would ask me when they see me in the room, because I would be one of the only diverse candidates in the room, the only black man in the room, the only black person around when I got to certain levels, they would have, the first thing they would ask me is, what do you do? Tell me what you do. And I found that nobody else would be asked that. Nobody else needed clarification for being in that room. And what I started saying in my intentional excellent days is, When somebody says, so Elliot, tell me about yourself. What do you do? My simple answer is my best. That's my answer. My best. My best at everything. We teach few good men. I teach my mentors at these various companies. Anybody that I mentor, I teach them intentional excellence and I teach them about doing their best and being first. It's very simple. It's the KISS theory. Keep it simple, stupid. People are not going to do the simple things. Notice the simple things, whether it's something as simple as picking up trash, whether it's something as simple as walking into a room saying good morning can change the climate and the energy levels of those rooms. So that's what intentional excellence is all about. Being my best, being your best. Well, you've obviously done that. Now I have one more question to ask you, and it's an important one. How can everyone be accountable and part of the necessary growth and change toward a more progressive and united community? That is an awesome question. Now, people can have different variations of how to answer that. But again, my KISS theory, keep it simple, stupid, is like, for me, and I don't mean to be, when I say that, I say that with a smile. Uh, here's, here's what it boils down to. Acknowledge that you are ignorant in some things. I acknowledge that Elliot Dunlap is ignorant in some things. And ignorant is not a bad word like I talked about earlier. Ignorant is just not knowing. And once you acknowledge that, seek out things, places, people that will help you get informed. I like philosophy and, and, you know, I studied that at North Texas as well. And I watched the History Channel and love all those things. Isaac Mosgoff said, in summing it up, he said, 
democracy's end is when when so many people are behind the lies and the myth that it becomes truth because you have so many people following it and nobody necessarily researching it. I'm summing it all up. The reality of it is, is we all have to be informed and informed is being aware. It's no longer okay for us to say we didn't know this was happening or I had no idea that somebody said this or this was the going thought process. We have to be informed. It's kind of like the law, right? The law is, they have a saying, ignorance of the law is your fault. They put the laws out there and they change them. If you don't know you're supposed not supposed to wear a seatbelt and nobody has informed you and you get a ticket, you're going to pay that ticket. Regardless if you heard about it, read about it, didn't know about it. Treat life the same way right now. There's too much information out there for us to gather. There's too much information out there for us to get and decipher in our own way and then spit out some type of resolution or thought process. Understand what's going on with your neighbors. Understand what's what's happening so you could talk to your kids or talk to your family about different topics. In short, understand where your ignorance is. Understand the people, places, and things that can help you build on those gaps because there's no longer an excuse for not knowing. Thank you. That is an important statement. Absolutely. I cannot thank you enough for joining us on the podcast today, but also for all of the things that you have done for many, many years. As I told you before, you have made such an important impact on the University of North Texas. I can only imagine the impact that you have had on other parts of the world. So thank you for that as well. Yes, thank you, Susan. This has been pleasant, and I appreciate the University of North Texas and yourself for taking out the time and acknowledgement to get to know who I am and what I've done. I'm truly humbled by this. And always, if there's any help that's needed, people can look me up on LinkedIn. And I'm a curious learner, so always ready to learn or help wherever I can. Thank you. This has been Susan Supak at the Osher Lifelong Learning Institute at the University of North Texas, speaking with Eliette Dunlap. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, please go back and listen to our previous interviews, which you can find on our website, olli.unt.edu slash podcast, or by searching for the Ali at UNT podcast in your favorite podcast app. While you're in the app, don't forget to subscribe and give us a rating. We also encourage you to share our podcast with your family and friends. Join us again next week for another episode.